Hi everyone, this is Jeffrey Smith and welcome to Live Healthy, Be Well. This week I'm going to share with you the audio portion of a talk I gave to The Great Awakening. So I'll be showing some slides, but don't worry, I'll make sure I explain everything so you can understand. Hi everyone, it's great to be here for The Great Awakening. I also spoke this weekend at Turning Point 2020, and I have my own program, A Magnificent New Normal, all focused on the great awakening that's happening right now, and not a moment too soon. You know, when I was early days of the pandemic, which I call blossoming in place, I asked people, what's the best thing you've noticed about this pandemic? And every single person was talking about how things needed to change in their life. The forced pause was like a reset button. So people were thinking about how to emerge from the pandemic as a higher version of themselves. And because I realize that consciousness is non-local, it's a shared system, it is non-linear, that if everyone is having this experience, it's in the collective. And because a small number of individuals can shift the whole system, it seemed that the system was set up, was poised for a transformation, a great awakening. Now, what I'm going to share with you today, <laughs> it's an interesting contrast. I'm going to talk about the great awakening, the magnificent new normal that we can achieve individually and collectively as an antidote to the ills of society right now. And I'm going to share with you one of those ills that if we don't take it seriously, it could mean death of the patient, an existential threat. This is GMOs 2.0, the next generation of GMOs, which has the ability to replace nature permanently with a corrupted accident-prone gene pool, which could spell catastrophe or worse cataclysm. And we're going to give you some examples of near misses that could have been a cataclysm for this planet. But first, now normally if you describe the problems and then you describe the solution, I'm going to reverse it. I'm going to describe the solution right up front so that it'll be easier for you to face the existential threat of GMOs. In fact, I spoke to, when I was still able to speak to live groups in person, the last eight talks that I gave, I introduced this topic and all eight audiences rated the existential threat from GMOs as greater on average than climate change. So because some of you have been dealing with a lot of bad news over and over again, I don't want to burden you with more bad news until I've given you the antidote. So we're going to start with the vision of a magnificent new normal. Now, one of the aspects of why I created this program, which is happening right now. If you go to a magnificentnewnormal.com, it says it's over, or it, maybe I can change that by the time this plays, uh, on the 24th of October. But every single talk, one talk released each day for 40 days, is available for a full week. So there are still fantastic talks available now. And if you sign up, we may have an opportunity to give you more than that. In fact, when you sign up, you get two more talks uh, on top of that. Anyway, please do 
check it out at magnificentnewnormal.com, and here's why. When we think about how systems function, like let's say chemistry, you're dropping drops to change the pH of a solution. Nothing happens, nothing happens, nothing happens. You can follow a flat line on the graph. Then all of a sudden it starts to get higher and then it flatlines again. During the time that it's shifting from the low to the high, that's called a phase transition. And during that time, the quality of the drops is essential. It's the quality that determine how much transformation takes place. In the first phase, quality is meaningless. High quality, low quality, you just keep pouring it in. Once it's changing, you want to go to high quality, and then when it levels off, doesn't matter. Let's translate that into human systems. We want to change a person. We want to change a system. So the first phase, let's call, is persuasion, convincing, making your case to the individual, to the government, to the organization, and you give a certain type of information to motivate them. But when they're ready to make a change, then the quality of instruction as to how to make the change is all important. Because if you're giving bad instructions at that point, they do very little transformation, and that becomes their new normal. Because I was asking all these people about the pandemic, and they were all saying, we need to change, we need to reprioritize, redefine. They were in the phase transition. You may recognize this from your own experience. The pandemic did the heavy lifting and put us all into a, yes, I want to change. So what do we need? We need high quality information that'll help us in choosing our magnificent new normal. And that's why I created this program for the amazing speakers. Go to a magnificentnewnormal.com and you will see some of those amazing speakers. Now I'm going to show you uh, I'm going to share my screen, and these are some of the speakers, including some of the speakers that are in the last week. Some, many, many of these you can see. Bruce Lipton, Lynn McTaggart, uh, and others uh, are available now. There's some names along the bottom, but if you go to a magnificentnewnormal.com, you can see everyone. Now, let's talk about how... If, there was no one theme that everyone talked about, but there were recurring themes. And some of those themes, in terms of what society will be like, were simply stunning. Lynn Twist, who's in the middle of your screen, she talked about this as being essentially like a pregnancy. Pregnancies have morning sickness, they have pain. But if you know that you're pregnant, it's in a context that changes everything. She and others, we have indigenous leaders, she and others talked about how this is a prophesied time of transformation in human consciousness that is precious, that is an antidote to these problems that we're talking about. But one of the pretty amazing um, uh, speakers that you'll get immediately, right away, as soon as you sign up, is Nina Simons, who's the co-founder of Bioneers. And she says, I don't believe any of us are here by accident in, the, in this momentous time. I really believe we each have a part to play in the great transformation. And I agree. And this is why we've structured this program in the way we did, so that people have a chance to resonate with the gems of wisdom from a variety of people to see what works with us that can help us in our own path. 
Now, consciousness is a field is one of the themes that came up over and over again. It's basically up-leveling our understanding of physics from Newtonian physics to quantum physics and, and up-leveling quantum physics to include consciousness. Bruce Lipton talked about how the cells are like, they have antenna for the consciousness of the field. And as a demonstration, others have taken cells from a human body and put it 100 miles away and did videotapes simultaneously of the person and the cells. And when the person had an altered state of emotion, the cells responded instantaneously. At the bottom, Lynn McTaggart talks about the intention experiment, how individuals have affected in statistically significant ways the speed of growth from seeds to plants, purify, purification of water, uh, healing of individuals. Eben Alexander, who has the most famous near-death experience on the planet, talks about experiencing the field. And in the upper right, Bob Roth talks about how group practice of transcendental meditation can influence an entire society in terms of trends and levels of violence versus harmony. And this is really important because if we want to protect life from what I'm going to be talking about soon, you want to be able to work with the whole system. Lynn McTaggart says, we're far more miraculous than each of us been told. Each of us, and particularly as a small collective, has the ability to heal ourselves and heal the world with extraordinary powers that have been suppressed by authority. People talk about meditation and higher states of consciousness. There's some amazing personal experiences shared with, with people about how, because consciousness is a field, we can open to that and we can experience levels of reality that we've read about. Bob Roth talks about three types of meditation, seven states of consciousness and one underlying field. And Eben Alexander talks about being on the other side in his death experience with other beings in this unified field of love. Master Shah talks about how to heal the soul and does a very interesting calligraphy blessing for everyone watching. And people talk about personal transformation. Jewel, the musician, has an amazing fourfold system that she works with and a whole way of relating to emotions that's simply stunning. Anne-Marie, Tommy, and I talk about stepping into your own personal superhero. Alison Armstrong, an expert on relationships. Jim Mitchell, also an expert at transformation. And Alison says, if there's any radical decision you want to make, that's going to be, this is going to be the time to make it. So if you're interested in leaping forward, as Lynn Twist says, in a cocoon, moving from a caterpillar to a butterfly, the imaginal cells find each other and orchestrate the transformation. She says, you listening to this are the imaginal cells. So this is an invitation. Now I'm going to tell you the existential threat that I have promised. Now that you realize that there's an opportunity in consciousness to help our whole society have a new relationship with each other, with ourselves, and with nature. Very important when you hear about what you're about to hear. Now, I'm going to start with the standard information that I've been giving for years about why it's important that we personally eat organic. <clears throat> the shortcut is simply to watch the film Secret Ingredients that I did with Amy Hart. It shows how individuals 
and families switch to organic food and serious chronic issues go away. And we identify the culprits as GMOs and Roundup herbicide, which is sprayed on food. There's autistic boys that are no longer on the spectrum, infertile couples that have children, people that have had uh, skin conditions, brain fog, digestive problems, cancer, all sorts of issues that turned around when they went organic. I interviewed about audiences at 150 lectures asking what did they notice when they switched to non-GMO and organic food, and they got better from about 28 different conditions on a consistent basis. And so I surveyed 3,256 people who reported the same thing. This was our, from our email list at the Response Institute for Responsible Technology. Look at this list. Do you have anything on this list that might benefit from going to a non-GMO and largely organic diet? <clears throat> Many of the changes were very quick. <clears throat> it's not just humans that get better. Lab animals are shown to suffer from these same problems or their, their precursors. Livestock and pets show that they get better when they're switched to non-GMO and organic foods. And the disease rates in the United States demonstrate that these or similar diseases are rising in parallel with the increased use of GMOs or the Roundup herbicide sprayed on them. So here is a graph where it shows inflammatory bowel disease growing very, very quickly since about 1996 when GMOs were introduced. And it's plotted against an orange line that says glyphosate. Glyphosate is the chief poison in Roundup herbicide. And this is the amount of glyphosate applied to corn and soy. And so corn and soy receive a lot of glyphosate when it's Roundup ready, corn and soy. Genetically engineered Roundup Ready crops created by Monsanto are engineered to receive large doses of Roundup herbicide and not kill the plant. So you can measure how much glyphosate you're getting or how much Roundup or how much Roundup Ready soy and corn are being produced. Here you see a very close correlation between the increase in glyphosate and the increase in inflammatory bowel disease. This is correlation, it doesn't prove causation, but we have identified the modes of action of GMOs and Roundup, and they would predict this type of causation. So I'm gonna flip through these charts very quickly. You, you just look at the obviously clear correlation between the two lines in the bar graph, and I will simply name the diseases. This is deaths due to intestinal infection. Hospital discharge from peritonitis, a inflammatory digestive order, digest, digestive disease. Death from kidney failure. Acute kidney injury. Hepatitis C. Autism at six years old, the correlation is near perfect. Diabetes. Stroke, deaths due to stroke, dementia, deaths from senile dementia, deaths from Alzheimer's, deaths from Parkinson's, 
deaths due to obesity, deaths from hypertension, anemia, insomnia, sleep disorders of many types, celiac disease, birth defects, death from disorders of lipoprotein metabolism, anxiety, suicide by overdose, schizophrenia, ADHD, liver and bile duct cancer, kidney and renal pelvic cancer, urinary bladder cancer, thyroid cancer, and deaths due to acute myeloid leukemia. Now, what could possibly be creating this type of relationship? Well, the first thing is that the process of genetic engineering generically creates massive collateral damage and does increase allergens and toxins and other things that we don't want in our food. It does that. It's been verified. It can change the growth of organs. It can cause potentially precancerous cell growth in the digestive tract, smaller brains, livers, and testicles, partial atrophy of the liver, damaged immune system, premature death, damage to all sorts of systems from the generic process of genetic engineering. Also, the cotton, corn, and South American soybeans are engineered to produce an insecticide called Bt toxin, which damages the intestinal walls of lab animals. It can poke holes. It's designed to kill insects by poking holes in their intestinal walls, while it actually pokes holes in human cells at high concentrations, and it's not something we want to be putting in our diet. The third possible problem is that there's more herbicides on these crops that are herbicide tolerant, like Roundup sprayed on Roundup-ready crops. Now, if you look at glyphosate, or its active ingredient, the active ingredient of Roundup, there's actually many toxins in Roundup, it damages the basic foundations of our health. It depletes minerals, kills the, the beneficial gut bacteria, not the nasty stuff. It can cause cancer, according to the World Health Organization's in, uh, in, the International Agency for Research on Cancer, it's a probable human carcinogen and a definite animal carcinogen. It creates leaky gut, destroys the mitochondria, promotes birth defects, can reduce serotonin, melatonin, and dopamine. You don't want those reduced. Can alter hormones, block detoxification, and it can impact future generations, even great-grandchildren in, in lab animals when the great-grandmother was injected with glyphosate. Now, glyphosate is not just sprayed on GMOs, it's sprayed on the grains and the beans, it's sprayed on the orchards, it's sprayed in vegetable and fruit fields. It's throughout our food supply, so don't just eat non-GMO to avoid it, eat organic. Now, if you can't get organic and you want to know what to avoid, go to responsibletechnology.org, and when you sign up for updates, you will get the report of all the different products, all the different uh, foods, and in many cases brand name ingredient products that have been tested with their amount of glyphosate. So if you can't always get organic, you'll know from this report to stay away from oats and wheat and lentils and mung beans and garbanzo beans unless they're organic because they have high levels of glyphosate. 
at responsibletechnology.org, I strongly recommend that you listen to my interview with Brent Wisner, who's the chief attorney for the successful trials that identified and confirmed to the jury that Monsanto's Roundup caused the plaintiff's non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And there's 125,000 at least more plaintiffs waiting for their day in court or their settlement. But these two and a half to three hours of interviews and sections are stunning. Some people call it life-changing in terms of what we discovered about the inner workings of Monsanto and the EPA, which was working in collusion with Monsanto. It's simply amazing. There are 25 to 35% of Americans have non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. It is linked to the Roundup in our food. Here's a picture of livers on the right from rats that were fed GM soy that was sprayed with Roundup. You can see the difference in the structure. And testicles and rats changed from pink to blue when they were given genetically engineered Roundup-ready soybeans. I gave a talk at the EU Parliament, and one of the co-presenters was Dr. Irina Ermakova of the Russian Academy of Sciences. She gave me these slides, so these are Russian-speaking rats. And they volunteered for a feeding experiment where they were fed genetically engineered soy starting two weeks before they got pregnant and continued through pregnancy and lactation. More than half of their babies died within three weeks compared to 10% of the controls. They were also smaller on average and many could not reproduce. A colleague at the Russian Academy did a three-generation study with hamsters. They too had a very high death rate, four to five fold. They too grew smaller and they also had um, a birth defect, hair growing in their mouths, and most were unable to have children or have offspring. This is a famous photo of three rats with huge tumors, absolutely horrible tumors. This was from Dr. Seralini's research, and he found that he fed rats that Roundup-ready corn that had been sprayed with Roundup, and they had multiple massive tumors, early death, and organ damage. Another group was fed the corn that had never been sprayed with Roundup, but it was never, nonetheless genetically engineered. Same results. A third group was fed the Roundup without the corn. Same results. So the Roundup, the corn, individually and together, produce, in this case, multiple massive tumors, early death, and organ damage. Now, what I want to do is say, I think this should be sufficient to convince you that it's time to change your diet. And I do this section of the talk because I feel kind of obligated. If I knew you were going to watch the movie Secret Ingredients, it does it better than the talk. Virtually everyone that watches the movie Secret Ingredients decides I need to change my diet and people report getting better from all sorts of diseases, disorders and mood problems, etc. when they do. And so I thought about maybe I should just get the existential threat straight away, but I felt like I needed to give this information because in order for us to make the changes in our lives, in order for us to have a great awakening, we need to have access to our brains, we need access to our neurotransmitters, proper hormones, our energy. The, the number two most common uh, improvement for people that switched to non-GMO organic was increased energy. Number four was reduced brain fog. 
and then there was anxiety and depression went away. We need these faculties in order to leap forward, in order to have higher states of consciousness. So this is part of the solution that we can do individually. But there's a new threat. The new threat is the possibility of replacing nature with GMOs. So this is beyond the food. You see, when you release a GMO into the environment, it crosses with the non-GMO, it produces offspring, which cross, which cross, which cross, and it propels that altered genetic structure through future generations. And there's no recall. You can't recall the genes that have put in soy, corn, cotton, canola, sugar beets, and alfalfa, the rounder petty genes. They're going to be out there for as long as those species exist. It could be thousands of years. We have no way of recalling them. If we were limiting it to just a few species, we might get away with it. But it is so cheap and easy to gene edit now a form of GMOs which is very unpredictable and very dangerous. You can buy a do-it-yourself gene editing kit on Amazon for $169. The power is going to go up, the price is going to go down. There's the possibility that over the next generation, with thousands of laboratories already targeting virtually every species with different DNA, and the genomes of those are going to be figured out and published and made available, that virtually everything that we know and love can be replaced. So future generations will not inherit the products of the billions of years of evolution, but instead inherit the products of laboratory creations with a technology whose number one most common result is surprise side effects. So how bad could it be? Now I'm going to introduce you to our existential threat. And I'm going to start with one example, which was pretty darn bad. In the 90s, there was a bacteria, bacterium called Klebsiella planticula that was genetically engineered that, according to these headlines, nearly took down the planet. A biological apocalypse averted. How a biotech company almost killed the world with booze. Let me explain. Well-meaning scientists took a very common variety of bacteria that's found in all the root systems of all the terrestrial plants and changed it so that it, when it broke down the plants, which it normally does, it turned them into alcohol. Here's the plan. Let's distribute the bacteria to farmers all over North America who are normally burning the crop residues on their field. Instead, they can put it all into a big barrel with the bacteria, which will turn it to alcohol, open the spigot two weeks later. Now you can run your tractors on alcohol, you can sell it to your neighbors, and then you take the nutrient-rich sludge on the bottom and spread it on your field as fertilizer. The company had passed all the requirements that the Environmental Protection Agency had. They were ready to go. Two weeks before they were going to release this bacteria outside to see how far it would spread as one of their experiments, a graduate student who had gotten permission to do some research on the bacteria walked into his 
laboratory one Saturday morning. Now, what he's expecting to find was trays of wheatgrass growing. But the trays that had, where the seeds had been planted in soil that was mixed with this nutrient-rich sludge, they were all dead. They were just slime on the surface. He thought he had made a terrible mistake. No, he averted a calamity. You see, the sludge contained the bacterium that turned the roots and the plants to alcohol. How bad would it have been if they released the bacteria and to see how far it would spread, or worse, if they sent it around to all these farms? Well, Elaine Ingham, the professor at Oregon State, who was the advisor to this graduate student, was told by a whistleblower at the EPA that they already knew how far bacteria that was genetically engineered spread in the environment. Everywhere. They genetically engineered bacteria and released it in a field in Louisiana and found after one growing season it had spread 11 miles, after another growing season maybe another 11 miles, but within a few years after they had stopped paying for the research but some private members of the EPA were privately collecting the data and testing, they found it everywhere on the planet. So now, already we have Klebsiella planticula on the root structures of all the terrestrial plants. Now we have a new version that turns the roots into alcohol. What if the two intermingle and the genetically engineered version wins out with a survival advantage? Maybe when it turns something to alcohol, it kills off the normal Klebsiella, so wherever it goes, it's killing its natural counterpart and taking its place. According to Dr. Elaine Ingham, the natural consequence of releasing a bacteria like this, bacterium would be end of terrestrial plant life on the planet. We don't know if that would happen, but theoretically it could. Now, the graduate student's research was not mandated. He was just doing research to get his PhD. And it turns out what he discovered, when he discovered it, may have saved all of us. But it wasn't the only bacterium that had already had a significant wake-up call. There's another bacteria variety called Pseudomonas syringae. And it causes the strawberries and the potatoes to die from early frost. And so well-meaning scientists genetically engineered the bacteria to be impotent. And so this was in the 80s. This was a long time ago. And they wanted to release it. And some very smart activists stopped them. And one of the things they pointed out was that there are weeds that die along with the strawberries. And if you release the bacteria, you can't control where it goes. It'll get on the weeds, and then you'll have things like pigweeds that don't die from the frost. They'll survive through the winter, and now you'll have a massive problem with weeds. So the court said you must not release it, and you must incinerate the soil or sterilize the soil where it had been released. Now we know that Pseudomonas syringae 
is airborne and is part of the process of creating rain, sleet, and snow. And if this impotent version, which doesn't create rain, sleet, or snow, had displaced the natural version, it could have altered the weather patterns on the planet forever. These are two species of bacteria. Two species! Each could have been a catastrophe. And we're thinking that within 20 years, 30 years, there may be hundreds of thousands of genetically engineered microbe varieties released outdoors unless we do something. Unless we do something. Now, it's not just microbes. Insects, too. You may have seen these headlines over the summer. 750 million genetically engineered mosquitoes approved for release in the Florida Keys. That would be over two years. Haven't done it yet. There's a lot to say about these mosquitoes. I will just say this. They were designed, created by a company called Oxitec. They're designed to reduce the population of a certain type of mosquito that carries Zika and Dengue because it causes the offspring to be sterile. I talked to a senior scientist there who was clueless about the science. First of all, he insisted to me over and over again that because of the mechanism by the way it kills off the offspring, there's no way that it would persist in the environment. As soon as you stop releasing millions or billions, they would just die off. I told him that was completely naive, and unfortunately I was right. In Brazil, three years after they released millions of these Oxitec genetically engineered mosquitoes, they found up to 60% of the samples they collected among the supposedly natural population actually have the altered DNA that resulted as a combination of the natural and the GMO. And the authors pointed out these mosquitoes might be more likely to carry disease. They might be harder to kill than the natural. We don't know. No one's ever seen them before. They've never existed in nature, and now they're a permanent part of the gene pool. We also know that in spite of the best efforts by the company to only release the non-biting males, they end up releasing millions of biting females, and the offspring don't always die. Millions of them survive. So now we have all these genetically engineered Franken-insects, Franken-insects, Frankenstein insects, flying all around. And I asked this scientist, Derek Nemo from Oxitec, have you ever tested the saliva of the mosquito? Because the saliva gets in our bloodstream. And he said, oh, we're just now testing to see if the inserted gene produces a protein that's found in the saliva. I'm thinking they've already released millions of these mosquitoes in four countries. Panama, Grand Cayman Islands, or Cayman Islands, um, uh, Malaysia, and Brazil. And I'm thinking, you're a little late in this test, but you're also doing the wrong test. I explained to Derek that the process of genetic engineering creates massive collateral damage in the DNA. We've talked about this. And that there was a study done on a human cell, it was a cystic fibrosis study, and they put in a new gene in the human cell. And they did something that hardly anyone had been doing. They tested to see if other genes were influenced when a single gene was put in, 
and up to 5% of the other human genes changed their activity level, which means they could be producing allergens or toxins or anti-nutrients or carcinogens, who knows what. So I said to Derek, I explained this to him and said, shouldn't you be testing the full composition of the saliva and not just the presence of a single protein? I'll never forget his response. He said, good idea. Well, I couldn't convince the South Florida Mosquito Control Board or the Florida Keys Mosquito Control Board. Others couldn't do it. They approved the release and hopefully we can still stop it. Can you imagine the billions of dollars of losses of the, to the tourist industry if a bite from one of these mosquitoes causes problems? And even if it doesn't, even if there's a rumor that it does, they may end up closing Disney World. So tell the people you know in Florida to go to our website at responsibletechnology.org and click on the mosquito tab to share that with the people in Florida. But unfortunately, it's not just mosquitoes and microbes. It is also cattle and livestock of all types. You see, this particular headline, part cow, part bacterium, biotech company makes heifer of gene editing blunder. A company genetically engineered, or scientists genetically engineered cows so that they wouldn't have horns because they wanted to put a lot of cows together in factory farms. And they didn't want them to hurt each other. They didn't want to cut the horns off. So they said, let's just turn off the gene that produces the horns. So they did gene editing. This is gene editing, what they're calling new and improved GMOs. They don't even want to call it a GMO. Yes, it's a GMO. And yes, it still has, as its most common outcome, surprise side effects and some very serious ones. In this case, well, let me explain what a gene editing mechanism does. Before gene editing, if you wanted to genetically engineer the soy or the corn that you may be eating, you would get a gene gun and put millions of genes, coat them in little particles of gold or tungsten and shoot it into a plate of cells, hoping that some of those genes make it into the DNA of some of those cells, or you would infect it with bacteria, and then you'd clone those cells into a GMO. The process causes all sorts of damage, hundreds or thousands of mutations up and down the DNA. Here, instead of a random insertion, it is more precise, but not exactly precise. You have two elements. You have the seeker who looks for a certain sequence on the DNA. When it finds something that is in its, that's on its clipboard, it says to the scissors, cut here. And then it'll continue, and if it finds something else that's similar, it'll cut there, and cut there, and cut there. Now, the engineers don't want it to be cut everywhere. They don't have the control, so it tends to be cut in a lot of places. And they take, they take a look and say, well, I think we can live with that cut. I think we can live with that cut. But here's the cut that we really want. And they design it so that when it's cut, it either knocks out a gene or they have additional genetic material that'll be put into the gene. What happens is when it's cut, an alarm goes off inside the cell and the maintenance crew runs there with an emergency and patches the DNA back together. And it patches it with any DNA that happens to be available. Like, 
you know, concrete, spackle, whatever. So if there's DNA around, it'll stuff it in there, thinking, well, this looks like something in there, and then it'll create it, and then it'll be supposedly fine. That reassembling of the DNA is completely out of the hands of the engineer. And that's where a lot of the problems arise. So in this hornless cattle, when it was published, they were all excited because it appeared to be perfect. And an accompanying letter from a biotech advocate said, this proves that we need no regulation whatsoever on any gene-edited animals because there's no side effects. Well, about two years later, the FDA decided to just run the data through a system, not to check the cows, but to check just to see how well this genome sequencing system worked. And they found, to their surprise, a major side effect. That there was bacterial genes in the cow DNA, in every cell of these cows. You see, when the maintenance crew went there to put it back together, they grabbed some of the gene editing material that had been inserted with bacterial genes and just stuffed it into the cow. And now here's the tragic part. These two genes that they found from bacteria created antibiotic-resistant proteins. Short story, these cows could have created antibiotic-resistant diseases. These cows were already being grown out to form a herd for massive commercialization, and when this was found, they were killed. If it hadn't been found by accident, by this random test, these cows could have been causing massive death and unnecessary amputations for runaway diseases, infections that couldn't be treated with antibiotics. There's mice that they genetically engineered. They cut the DNA, and because the cells were floating in serum from goats or or um, cows, there happened to be little snippets of DNA material that was grabbed by the maintenance crew, stuffed into the mice. So now the mice have cow DNA and goat DNA, including retroviruses that happen to be from these donor organisms. You know what a retrovirus is, HIV. Not a good thing to add to your, to your experiment. So these are things that can go wrong. There's many things that can go wrong, and I'm not going to go into too much detail here. I'm going to go into another GMO 2.0, gene drives. On the left, you see normal inheritance. There's the mom and the pop, in this case a fly, and half the offspring get a particular gene from the mom, and the other half get it from the dad, and then the amount of offspring that get it gets thinned out generation after generation. With gene drives, you set it up so that all of the offspring always get the, drive, get the trait, and you can use this to completely alter an entire species. They're talking about using it to kill off entire species. Let's kill off the rats in a particular island where they're an invasive species. What happens if those rats get on the hull of a ship and send it to a continent? We may end up killing off the rats of an entire continent. Or what if the gene drive moves to a different species? Very serious. Hegas, developed, being developed by the 
Department of Defense, it's equipping insects to deliver viruses that are genetically engineered to do genetic engineering in the field to crops. I can't think of anything that would go wrong there, can you? Artificial intelligence is now driving robotic genetic engineers with massive facilities that can produce so many changes in one cell and so many cells at the same time and it's becoming a completely altered reality. You can just call up or do a, do a, you will be able to do this already, but you'll be able to do it in much more powerful ways. Figure out what kind of combinations you want, put it on online, a robot takes your order, creates it, and mails it off to you. So you think about all the combinations that anyone could be creating and releasing into the environment. Or you can stuff it into a yeast or bacteria organism and use it as a mini factory to biosynthesize ingredients. So this company, Evolva, has found genes that can produce proteins that will smell like sandalwood or taste like stevia or give you a caffeine lift or supposedly act like turmeric or dopamine, caviar, mint. Now, this is like the problem of the active ingredient in pharmaceuticals. It's usually a more complex active community that balances the impact of the active ingredient. So there may be health properties that you're totally missing. In fact, you may end up causing harm. Now, this concept of turning bacteria or yeast into factories was done in the 1980s by Shoadenko KK in Japan. They took, L they took bacteria to produce L-tryptophan an amino acid which causes calmness and makes it easier to go to sleep. They were using regular bacteria, but they said, well, let's, let's add some of these genes to produce it more economically. So they added genes in 1984 and 85 and a different gene in 1988. They had no idea that these bacterium were now producing little toxins, tiny amounts of toxins almost certainly as a result of these added genes. And it was pure enough to meet the U.S. pharmaceutical standard for purity. It was 98.5% pure. But there were five or six contaminants. And they were deadly. Killed about 100 people. Five to 10,000 people fell sick. Many suffered to, for, to this day, causing paralysis, pain, absolute... It was horrible. I've interviewed some of these people. And no, there was a cover-up. You can read about it in my book, Seeds of Deception or Genetic Roulette or go to responsibletechnology.org. They covered up the genetic engineering origins, the FDA did, and um, that was what basically allowed GMOs to continue because if people knew that it was a GMO that created this problem, it wouldn't have had much uh, screen time, so to speak. And all of these things, including... Huh, the Impossible Burger. Friends, don't let friends eat the Impossible Burger. It is made from this genetically engineered yeast. And not only is there a new protein that's never been in the human food supply, there's 46 other byproducts of this yeast that just got added up in the slurry and added to the food you eat. There is now a survey of people who are getting sick from the Impossible Burger 
Don't be one of the victims. Now there's sprays of RNA. RNA in our bodies turn out to be like little orchestra, like orchestra conductors. They'll go around and they'll tell the string section to increase its volume. They'll tone down the percussion section. They change gene expression. They can tell someone to stop, one of the, one of the musicians. So there's a new spray from Monsanto and that is now, Monsanto is now owned by Bayer, the aspirin maker, that has RNA pieces that kill bugs. Now here's the problem. RNA from one species can affect another. So what if the spray gets on our bodies and enters our skin and it's designed to find certain sequences and silence them? It could reprogram our gene expression, which is why so many scientists were up in arms when the genetically engineered apple and potato were put on the market designed not to die when, I mean, designed not to turn brown when sliced, but it's using this double-stranded RNA pieces that could reprogram us if we happen to eat the apple or the potato. So if you buy pre-cut apple slices, don't eat them. And the potatoes may be in a lot of places in our food supply. In fact, the person who engineered and created the potatoes, ended up writing a book after he retired, describing them as the worst GMOs, and described in 75 fact-filled pages so many ways that they could be creating harm. Now, I have been sharing with you problems with genetic engineering and GMOs 2.0, and you want to know what we can do. What can we all do? We have a plan at the Institute for Responsible Technology. And I'd like you to go over to protectnaturenow.com and take a look at this 2 minute and 21 second trailer called Don't Let the Gene Out of the Bottle. That's the name of the movie. The movie's only about, it's going to be less than 15 minutes when we finish it. And we're going to release it next year with a global movement. And we want you to know about it. So please give us your name and your email and your zip code and hit get involved. And you will then know about this global movement to protect nature now so that our children and our children's children and etc. etc. can inherit the products of the billions of years of evolution and not be stuck with little biological time bombs. So please go to protectnaturenow.com and another thing that you can do is to please donate. We have a very large wish list. We need to not just tell people to eat organic. That was the last 24 years of my life. We need to change regulatory requirements. We need to change laws. We need to alert the world about the fact that we have arrived at this inevitable time in human history where we can redirect the streams of evolution for all time and that we need to look at nature through a different lens and feel connected with nature as nature's steward so we feel more connected with the intelligence of nature and not be looking at this reductionist thinking where we can move this and pay no attention to that. 
So how do we go from a reductionist, narrow thinking to holistic thinking? Now I'm reminding you of what we started with, consciousness as a field, higher states of consciousness, personal development, leaping forward as collective consciousness, using this prophesied time, which Lynn Twist, from describing the prophecies of the um, Amazonian indigenous peoples, talked about going from a dark and dominant culture to a light and balanced culture, and another, and Ilarion Merculiaf and, and Magnificent New Normal, talking about moving from the head to the heart, and Bruce Lipton talking about consciousness as a field and the integration of the heart. All of these are changing the way people think. If we can move society to the next level through the consciousness technologies, we will have a different relationship with ourselves, with each other, with nature, a different way of thinking, because we will be different. Now that is the ultimate solution, but in the meantime we need to change laws. In the meantime, we need to make documentary films and TV shows and books and interviews and social media. We need to have celebrities and thought leaders. We need to be in curriculum. We need scientific organizations to come out in favor of saying no release. Now, what's interesting is that the pandemic has given a sensitivity to microbes. Whether the COVID-19 had genetically engineered origins or not, it doesn't matter. There's H5N1 virus that killed, that has a 60% mortality rate, I'm told, and genetic engineers made it airborne. Now it's not released. Hopefully it'll never be released. Hopefully it's been destroyed. But you can tell that genetic engineering can create pandemics that are far worse than what we have now. By explaining this to people who are very sensitive now to microbes encircling the earth and wreaking havoc, we have a more receptive population to make changes. So I'll tell you more about this in early 2021. Please go to protectnaturenow.com, sign up, and please help us by making a generous donation because everything is at stake. And I think you know what we're talking about at, by this time when I say that. So that's protectnaturenow.com and watch the trailer. Now you can also go to Live Healthy Be Well. That is a site where you can listen to my podcast. You can watch the movie Secret Ingredients if you want to switch to organic or be more organic after that. We have a program, the 90 Day Lifestyle Upgrade. If you want to help clear your body from the negative effects of GMOs and Roundup for all these years, we have healing from GMOs and Roundup as well, all at livehealthybewell.com. You can take a photo of this page, which has protectnaturenow.com, responsibletechnology.org, livehealthybewell.com, and a magnificentnewnormal.com. Secret Ingredients is the film to give to your spouses, your parents, your kids, your cousins, your friends, that you have been trying to get to change their diet for your life. And they don't want you to talk about it anymore because you've been trying really hard. You just say, 
can we look at this film together? It works. It has been tested, and I believe it is by far the most powerful conversion tool to increase someone's commitment and consumption of organic food. So I started with this and I'm ending with it because, well, I'm gonna end with the next slide. I want, this is very important as a tool to take the glyphosate and GMOs out of our bodies so that we're healthier and more prepared to take the leap into the highest version of ourselves. And for that, I'd like to recommend that today you go over and register for a magnificent new normal and take a look at the lectures that have occurred already. They're going to be disappearing one day at a time. So see which ones you like. And I've made it easier for you. When you go to each lecture, you can just listen to the answer to the first question, which is always the same. What is your vision of a post-pandemic civilization? The answers are stunning. Or you can listen just to the second question, which is, what do you recommend for people to do to step into the highest version of themselves? Then there's the in-depth interviews, which are usually 60 to 90 minutes. Jules is very quick. She was between recording sessions, so I had to grab her for 20 minutes. Stunning interview. And then you can link directly to the other questions that I ask at the end to everyone. Resources to follow up with, a, a experiential exercise to recommend, and homework to do at our own community forum. So please go to A Magnificent New Normal while it's still available. Check it out and choose to make this an opportunity to step into the highest version of yourself. You see, humanity has never been in a global pause before. How come? Lynn Twist talks about the indigenous elders saying this was prayed into existence by our souls. This is what humanity needed because we've been, we were careening down a path of self-destruction. And Ilarion Merkuliev talks about the shift from the head to the heart, how this is a time of great transformation. If you look at the prophecies from indigenous elders, you realize that this has been described for a long time. And that if you look at the technologies that can wreak havoc on the planet, it's as if they're runaway technologies. If they're left unhindered and unhampered, they could destroy us. So it's as if we created a trauma collectively. And you know traumas can be catalytic for an awakening, for a great awakening in this case, because it's an awakening for the planet. So that's how I view this blossoming in place, this sheltering in grace. I view it, in addition to the obvious suffering and death, I view it as a birth. As Lin Twist said, hospicing the old structures, birthing the new ones. So in the middle of the cocoon, the imaginal cells wake up and they find each other. And then they orchestrate the transformation to a butterfly, which looks nothing 
like the caterpillar. Let's create a society that looks nothing like the society that was around before the pandemic. Let's create a society that is based on connectivity, on the field of consciousness and its evolutionary qualities, unhindered and harnessed by individuals and our society. And let us shepherd and protect and steward all living beings and all future generations. Thank you all. Thank you for listening to Live Healthy, Be Well. Please subscribe to the podcast using whatever app you listen to podcasts with. Or go to livehealthybewell.com to subscribe. This podcast will inform you about health dangers, corporate and government corruption, and ways we can protect ourselves, our families, and our planet. I interview scientists, experts, authors, whistleblowers, and many people who have not shared their information with the world until now. Please share the podcast with your friends. It will enlighten and may even save lives. Safe eating.